1: Hello and welcome to the Josh Marshall Podcast. This is David Tainter. I am joined once again by my colleagues Tierney Sneed and Kate Riga. How's it going?
0: Oh, we're surviving. It's going just about as I expected it to go. So that's where
2: we are. <laughs> Nerves fully on the outside of my body, I would say.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're recording this at about 1.15 in the morning on Wednesday. We still don't know who the uh, next president of the United States is. We've had a a bunch of of states go in Trump's uh, favor, um, among them like Ohio, Texas, Florida. So far, we are waiting on a few of the key swing states, including North Carolina, Georgia, Arizona, and not to mention the upper Midwest, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. Tierney, let's start with you. Just give us a kind of your globals your global view of the night so far. Um, how it's played out compared to your expectations or things that have surprised you. Just kind of your your quick takeaways so far.
0: Yeah, I think this night is not the night that Joe Biden wanted. I do think there was, you know, a lot of optimism when there was, you know, when we're seeing the days before the election that Georgia and Texas were toss-ups and that, you know, he could squeak out wins in Florida and North Carolina. Um, and what's worth noting about that optimism is, you know, him winning those states would have ended things tonight, which I, I think have a, has a lot of, you know, perks um, beyond just having things done tonight instead of Friday night. You know, it sort of takes off the table some of the litigative questions that are outstanding. Out, um, standing. It takes away some of the ability Trump would be able to have to sort of delegitimize the counting that's still going on in states like Pennsylvania and Michigan and Wisconsin. But on the flip side, if we kind of think back to April, um, when this pandemic was taking hold and we were just sort of understanding how um, voting was going to work and the COVID-19 outbreak, and you know, there wasn't this sort of summer of polls showing you know this sort of sunbelt um, surge for Joe Biden. This is the, the scenario we were expecting. I think everyone saw Joe Biden as the candidate that was gonna win on the basis of Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, and that those states would take several days to count and that there was gonna be some, um, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing illegitimate about that. Every vote should count. But I think there has also been a lot of talk, and you know, we've definitely written stories about that. That you know, the, the way the media talks about it, the way the candidates talk about it, um, can really affect the confidence voters have. So that's sort of the thing I'm going to be watching in the next couple of days. Beyond, of course, the the big question of who wins those states.
1: Yeah, Kate, how about you? You've been tracking the Senate pretty closely. Uh, it seems like Democrats' hopes of of flipping the Senate and and retaking a majority are all but dashed at this point of the night. But How about you, what, uh, you know, tell us your thoughts on the Senate so far, but what else you've been seeing tonight and what else has jumped out to you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it applies to the Senate and the president's race that, you know, I think some people expected that this election would be a widespread repudiation of Trump, um, that that's what was driving the really high turnout, that that was what was putting Texas on the map and Georgia and North Carolina. Um, And that hasn't materialized. And I think Tierney's right that when you kind of get over the shock of seeing that polls were maybe unduly bullish on places like Florida and, you know, yet to be seen, but North Carolina and Georgia, you do realize that the Path that's the easiest for Biden at this point is kind of his most likely path, plus possible buffers if um, you know he manages to get Arizona or North Carolina or Georgia. But you know the Senate level is almost more unexpected, I think, because as you said, David, Democrats' path to the Senate is already extremely narrow, um, and the big stutter of the night with that uh, was Cal Cunningham severely underperforming in North Carolina. Um we haven't called that race officially yet, but you know, it's high ninety percent of the vote in and he's down by ninety thousand votes. Um and so as soon as you had that taken off the table, it just gets a lot harder. And then your kind of next best pickup was Iowa, which has now gone to Ernst. So that leaves you if you're a Democrat, you know, they did manage to net Colorado, which was pretty much a given. Um, Arizona is looking good for Mark Kelly, so you need two more. And you have to kind of go to further and further down the list, which right now would be Montana and Georgia, um, both of which favor the Republican incumbent. Um, so you know maybe Steve Bullock really overperforms and they can get that in their column, but now you're just starting to hope that multiple states really defy the polls and expectations um, to get that majority so yeah I would say for that there was a blue tsunami was on the table you know it could have happened and it didn't materialize and we're kind of still in the place where we're not quite sure how big of a wave it is um yeah so I think that's where we are now in the wee early hours of the day after election day
1: Tierney, I'm wondering if you can kind of help us look ahead a little bit, because you've you've covered many kind of legal disputes leading up to Election Day, you know, regarding the counting of absentee ballots that arrive after Election Day. I think tomorrow there's a hearing on on that issue in Pennsylvania, right? I think Trump, you know, has already come out and said, you know, they're trying to steal the election from us and he's laying the groundwork to delegitimize the process what are you looking for in the next few days what should our listeners kind of be keyed into to i don't know to follow in the you know in the next few days as we hope to get some clarity on where things stand
0: yeah pennsylvania is definitely the hot spot here i mean it was the hot spot there's you know big court battles all over the country but pennsylvania was sort of kind of the creme, the creme of the just how aggressive they've been, and that's, you know, stayed true and the, the, the you know, through, you know, literally just a couple hours ago, lawsuits still being filed. So I think any scenario where it's going to come down to Pennsylvania is going to be um, something where courts are going to be involved, and we just don't know yet if the margin's going to be close enough for a court decision that would, you know, toss out a certain number of ballots if that would be, um, you know, impactful. So, as you mentioned, there's been this big case about the ballot deadline um, for receiving mail ballots. As of now, ballots that are getting in that are postmarked by today and getting in with the next three days are being are supposed to be counted. But you know, the Supreme Court hasn't settled that issue one, once and for all, and we, we don't know how Amy Coney Bear is going to vote vote on that. You know, we we don't have a totally clear picture of where Kavanaugh is going to come down if it. If the question is tossing out ballots that have already, you know arrived and you know were legally cast on election day. So that's gonna be a big issue. But you know, we've seen just again in the last couple days a lot of lawsuits, just any sort of minor issue, you know, just the, the 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 thinnest technicality and we're seeing Republicans rush to the courts, um, which I think is them really just trying to kind of get whatever foothold they can get in if it comes to Pennsylvania. And part of that is because it's the, the closest state for Trump and Biden and the sort of Midwest trio. It's got the most electoral votes, and it's going to take the longest to count. So that's kind of you know in a scenario that it all comes down to Pennsylvania. You've got several days for these court battles to play out um, before we really know what they're going to mean. That being said, you know depending on how Arizona goes, and if there's any surprising results out of Georgia or um, North Carolina. Court battles that pop up in Wisconsin, and Michigan could also be very important. So I, I don't want to suggest that, you know, we should take our eyes off of those states as well. But Pennsylvania has really been sort of the focus of the, the court fight so far, which I think is very telling.
2: Yeah, I think something, you know, I've said it on this pod multiple times, but we're in kind of the most danger of things being squishy enough for Trump to you know, kind of make up a legal challenge and try to get it tossed to the Supreme Court if we're in a situation where everything hinges on a state like Pennsylvania that takes a long time to vote, Um, which, again, kind of heightens the importance of if Biden does manage to pull Arizona or Georgia into his column, because, you know, it lessens the importance on Pennsylvania um, and gets rid of some of that ambiguity, that wait time that Trump you know, has already signaled that he would take advantage of to try to paint it as illegitimate because it's taking longer.
1: Right, Tierney. I thought you made a good point at the kind of top of the episode where you were saying we're kind of in the situation we expected back in the spring, back when we un- when we understood that the coronavirus would impact how people vote and you know the behavior of voters and increasing mail-in voting and all that, but. On Twitter and on cable news, I don't know, there's just so many parallels to 2016 when it was a heartbreaking night for Democrats and uh, it seems like we haven't learned this lesson that it might take a while, right? I mean, are there any, I don't know, not words of comfort exactly for listeners, but like, like you say, it's, it's, it's normal that this is going to take a while and we might not know for a while and that's fine. I mean, any, anything you, you think our listeners should just kind of keep in mind on that front?
0: You know, I would like to just bring up some of the good news on the election administration front, because if we think back to April um, and and May, the coverage we were doing there, it was a really big question of whether the election infrastructure was going to adapt to these circumstances. And we definitely saw some primaries where, you know, the alarms were ringing that it was not and. You know, with the the major caveat of this sort of court fight to potential of a potential court fight to throw out completely legitimately cast ballots, which has definitely exceeded my expectations in terms of how aggressive that court fight has been. Um, the administrative ends of angle of it all has been. Um, You know, we saw some problems today, but they were mostly run of the mill problems that you see in every election day. And I think that's a real testament to the election officials, to the voter advocates who went to court and lobbied lawmakers and um, did voter education, to the voters themselves who really took seriously all this advice that they got. I mean, if, if people had voted in person the way that they normally vote in person, today would have been a disaster. But because people uh, embraced absentee voting because people voted early. Um, we did not see the sort of disasters that we saw at the beginning of the the pandemic when those spring primaries were rolling through. So I think that's a, um, good piece of news. I mean, like I said, there's still a lot unknown about the next couple days, but the threat of a sort of, uh, Election Day where, you know, some mass intimidation or violence or, you know, some really obvious suppressive tactics could have been used, it didn't manifest. So, you know, we can could put to bed some of those concerns. That's not to say there aren't severe vulnerabilities that have been um, exposed that still need to be corrected. But I think Election Day at least didn't give us any sort of troubling concerns about the, the ballots that have been cast so far.
1: Right. Kate, any final thoughts from you before we wrap things up?
2: Yeah, I guess the biggest thing on my mind now is we've been talking a lot about, you know, will the media learn these lessons? Will observers learn these lessons? Whether that be, you know, the red mirage or the blue mirage or the blue shift or learn to not characterize things um, in a way that they they appear before everything's fully gamed out. And I think that's going to kind of enter a next stage now because, you um, You know, you're going to have the Trump camp ratcheting up their cries of election theft. You know, they're already fighting tooth and nail against Fox News's projection that Biden won Arizona Um, and apparently, you know, putting pressure on other networks not to replicate the call. So, we're already kind of seeing the shenanigans that we expected and as we you laid out we're not you know we're not sure of the intensity that that will take on you know in a legal fight or a concrete effort to get ballots tossed but you can probably expect a shift in the language now a real full court press to try to sow doubt and uncertainty so i think this is the time where those institutions are really going to be strained, you know, going to see for real if people have learned lessons from the Trump administration and uh, kind of hold the line on making sure you tell people that there's nothing wrong with a late vote count. This is going to take a while. All ballots are counted X, Y, Z. So I think that's what we have to look forward to in the days to come.
0: (laughs) And and I just want to add one quick point on, you know, piggybacking on something that Kate said. It's worth noting that over the course of this sort of final phase of litigation um they've they republicans have really abandoned the pretext of fraud like we're not really the, the sort of the most recent wave of lawsuits it's not about we think there's fraud it's just that you know we think the rules have not been changed in the correct fashion which is really saying something about just how aggressive they've had to be to make these claims um You know, there's no reason, there's just no reason to believe that a a vote that was postmarked on election day, but didn't make it to the election office until two or three days after is fraudulent. So you have to pick some other sort of battle. And I think it's just really telling about how bad faith the argument is.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. All right. As a reminder to our listeners, the Josh Marshall podcast is sponsored by Grady's Cold Brew. I've had at least a couple tonight. I don't know about you, you guys, but um... We appreciate their sponsorship. You can get 20% off. Uh, They were doing a 25% deal until Election Day. Now that we're on November 4th, not sure where that stands, but go to Grady'sColdBrew.com, use the promo code TPM, pick up some coffee. We're going to need it to get through the next several days and beyond. Tierney and Kate, thanks so much for joining uh, me. And I know we still have a little ways to go, but I hope you can get some sleep soon.
2: All right. Thanks, guys.
1: Bye. Take care.